Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise learn and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, for sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You may be seated, unless... You are a child, and at this point, I would like to invite the wisest among us, in my opinion, (laughs) those that are not yet fully grown, to join me right up here. So come on. Great. Just have a seat right there. Good job. Now, I haven't invited you up here because I happen to believe that one of the ways you are very wise is that you have not forgotten how to use your imaginations. And to set up this series that we're going to be into, we need to start with some wise use of our imagination. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine with me. You ready? You're going to imagine that it's the end of a perfect day. You've been playing on the beach all day with your favorite people, and you're called in just before dark. You showered off the sand, and you pulled on your most comfy clothes, and you just ate your favorite dinner. And just when you think it couldn't get any better than that, someone says, come to the beach. I've got a fire going. So you grab a blanket and you wrap it around your shoulders and you run down and when you get to the beach, you see the perfect fire. You know, one of those fires that's not so hot that you have to stand so big that you have to stand way back. And it's not so low that you're worried that it's going to go out any time. It's the fire with just that perfect flame where you can roast the perfect marshmallow. And so you do. And then just when you've eaten it and you've got that squishy sweetness, you swallowed it down, you sit in a lawn chair with your blanket around you and you look up at the stars and there's more than you can count. And you listen and you hear the waves rolling in on the shore. And you look into the fire. Who do you see? Look around the firelight. Who's there with you? Who's with you? Who? Oh, your stuffed animal. You brought your stuffed animal with. That was a great idea. Who's with you? Who's with you? Jesus? God? Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. But yeah. But let's say it's a real campfire and Jesus is there. You're so right. But what other people might you have with you? My best friend, Kia. Your best friend. Who do you have with you? A cousin. A cousin. Yeah. How about you? Some siblings. Does anybody have their mom and dad there? Yeah? Are your mom and dad there? And maybe a grandpa or grandma? 
just some really, it's kind of fun to sit around a fire, isn't it, with people that we love, people that are wise. There's something safe and comforting and almost magical that happens around a fire. There's no need to impress people. We don't have to show off. We don't have to think what other people are thinking of us or how we look. A campfire is an invitation to listen and to share honestly and openly and to be real. There's a lot of wisdom around a fire. Well, you know, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Bible tells us of a special time when Jesus sat around the fire with his disciples, his precious friends who he had done life with and ministry with for three years. Now, it wasn't night, like I described in our imagining, but it was very, very early morning. So my guess is there was still some stars out, and it was probably, the sky was probably just starting to get that really special light pink that you only see when you wake up before the rest of the world does. And the disciples were in a boat. They'd been fishing all night long. Now, they knew that Jesus had died and risen from the dead, but they didn't yet understand exactly what that meant for their lives. So they'd gone back to fishing, because that was what many of them knew how to do. At least four of them had been fishermen in their job before Jesus came. And they had fished all night long and not caught a single fish. And then they saw this man. They just kind of saw a silhouette. They couldn't really tell who it was. I'm thinking it was probably still a little bit too dark. But this man, he yelled at them, throw your net on the other side of the boat, which really didn't make a lot of sense. But they did it. And the minute, the instant that net hit the water, it was filled with fish. The Bible says 153 large fish. That doesn't even count the small ones. It was so heavy they could hardly bring it in, and immediately they knew who that man was on the beach. Who was it? It was Jesus. That's right. So they hurried with that boat full of fish to the shore, and when they got there, Jesus had already made a fire, and he had cooked them breakfast of fish and maybe some delicious bread like we just had. And so when their bellies were full, they began to talk about the important stuff the real stuff, the things that matter. And for Peter, the disciple that had denied even knowing Jesus three times around the fire, the conversation was about identity. And my guess is it wasn't just Peter that needed to be reminded of who he was and why he'd been called. I think they all needed to remember who they were and why Jesus had called them. Who was Peter really? Was he just Simon, an ordinary fisherman who had messed up big time? Or was he a beloved friend of God? That steadfast rock called to care for the soon-to-be-established church. Well, three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and three times Peter, in the presence of Jesus and his dearest friends, in the most real and honest way he knew, confirmed his love for Jesus. And three times, Jesus reminded him of his true job, his true calling. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, is he talking about the baa kind of sheep? No. No, who who is he talking about? People. People. People like you and me. Jesus took 
what was probably the most painful memory for Peter of being around a fire, and he made it a place of healing and calling. And my guess is it wasn't the first time that Jesus had sat around a fire with his friends. I think that they might have had many amazing conversations about what really mattered around a campfire. And that last fire was no exception. It was a time they would never forget. In fact, it was so important that John, in the, in the book that he wrote about Jesus, the book of John, in the very last chapter, he wrote down about that scene, that situation around the fire. And it says at the very end, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. There is a lot of wisdom that happens around a fire. You may quietly go back to your parents. One of the many legitimate criticisms that occasionally gets lobbed at the church or what some people refer to as organized religion is the perceived disconnect between what happens in church and what is talked about in church and the messy and complicated stuff of real life. And so the church functions, some people think, in a protective bubble, but it doesn't have much to say or much to offer to those who are in the midst of, for example, a tough marriage, or they're paralyzed by some insecurity, or they're dealing with financial stress, or they're facing a ferocious temptation and they're giving into it regularly, or they're dealing with crying babies or with cars that won't start. And so the church gives slogans and cliches instead of attentive listening and authentic relationship and concrete wisdom to navigate the tricky maze of life in this rather broken and complicated world. And so with this kind of mindset, and as the church reinforces the mindset and gives good reason for the mindset, the church gradually becomes marginalized and for all practical purposes, forgotten. Now, I love who we are and who we are becoming as a congregation. There's so many good things happening. I forgot to mention in the, year end, or in the announcements that next Sunday we'll have kind of the final report on the year-end offering, but it is unbelievably good news, and I, it is going to be fun to share that. I love the values we are seeking to uphold and we're striving toward together as a congregation, and I love what happens in this room when we gather together as a community of broken people who are longing for God and who realize we need one another. But as essential as these gatherings on Sunday are, this Sunday morning setting, just look around, rows of chairs, a big cold room, this raised stage, the focus being on what happens here up on this stage, mostly one person blabbing on and on, this environment here on Sunday morning doesn't really promote real connection, real community, real conversation, real relationship, or real interaction. And no matter how hard we try, I would probably suggest every last one of us, when we walk through the doors and into this setting, we are still on. Our guard is up. 
we are still to some degree hiding. We're not relaxed. And we're not really ourselves. Now, some of us are relaxed. I can see the bobbing heads and the droopy eyes. I get that. But this environment on Sunday morning isn't really designed to be a relaxing, unhurried, authentic environment. And that's okay, because that's not its main purpose. But if you let your mind or your eye shift over to the vignette stage for a second, I'd like you to just take a look at that and think for a moment about those settings and those occasions when we are relaxed and unhurried. Our feet are up. Maybe we're sipping our favorite beverage. We're with people we care about and with people we love. Stories are being told. Children are involved. And they're having a blast. There's a realness to the moment. And there's a realness to the conversation. I think of the back porch at my parents' house in Arizona where for many years my brother and his wife and kids would come from Wisconsin and we would come from California and our time together as an extended family was shaped in that relaxed setting. And here our kids are, all of them in their 20s, my brother's kids in their 20s, and they still talk about the hours spent hanging out together on the back porch, telling stories, laughing, being together, and interacting. We have had a fire pit in our backyard for many years, and there have been countless nights over those years where two of us in our family, or sometimes all five of us, or maybe a couple of us and some friends, have sat around the fire and laughed and talked. Sometimes we've cried, mesmerized by the flames, sitting there picking up leaves or sticks and tossing them in as the conversation continues. We've connected with each other. At times, we've argued with each other, and we have most certainly learned about each other. There's something about a fireplace or a fire pit or a campfire or a beach fire that ignites connection, relationship, storytelling, and good conversation. There's something about a fire that pulls generations together. A fire fosters meaningful conversations about meaningful subjects. A different conversation happens at a fire than in this Sunday morning auditorium. Let's put it this way. If I were to randomly grab one, two, three, four, five, four of you, and the five of us were to sit over there, we would have a different conversation than we're having right now. It's just how it works. A fire provokes a different conversation than a Sunday morning auditorium or an office or even a coffee shop. And it is different... It's a different conversation in large part because we are different in those settings. It has been said many times, what we do in this room is essential and important, but what we do when we aren't in this room is equally essential and equally important, and what we do when we aren't here is perhaps the best indicator of whether or not what we do in here really matter, makes much difference or matters. 
So, all that is to say, we are really excited about this new series called Fire Pit Conversations because for the next five or six weeks, there are going to be gatherings in living rooms and in backyards of people in our church, and there will be meaningful conversations about meaningful subjects. And when possible, these gatherings will occur around or near a fireplace or a fire pit to create a relaxed setting where people can be themselves and where they can be honest. And I'm going to spend a bunch of time explaining the plan and how you can get at one of these fire pit conversations in a few moments. Our hope in this series is that what we do together in here on Sunday morning will encourage and inspire you to sign up and participate in one or many of these fire pit conversations. And we're going to use the book of Proverbs to try to frame in this series and give it some context. You know this as well as I do. Living in today's world is challenging and it is complicated and it is uncertain for younger people especially, but for older people as well, for religious people and for non-religious people. And it seems to me there is a desperate need for reliable wisdom to help navigate the winding and twisting and dangerous roads. And the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So let's talk about wisdom for everyday life. The book of Proverbs offers God-centered wisdom about how to live in everyday situations. It offers God-centered wisdom for making decisions, for making choices, for picking a path, for doing life well. But there are a couple of important, we'll call them nuances, we need to understand or we can misuse and misinterpret the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. And the first nuance is that the book of Proverbs presumes God's existence. It's fairly obvious, and it seems too obvious to even mention, but it's also important. God is real to Solomon and to the other authors of this book, meaning he actually exists. And his existence shapes and reshapes our existence. So these aren't just pithy slogans and cliches and sayings. The wisdom the book of Proverbs offers is intended to help us live in submission to God and in accordance with his will in the everyday stuff of this life. Reading again from Proverbs chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 through 3. The Proverbs of Solomon Son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. And these verses pile on the point of the whole book of Proverbs to gain wisdom and to gain guidance, to understand at a deep and penetrating level, to receive instruction in prudent or wise behavior. In short, to be able to do what is right and just and fair in a variety of everyday life situations, to live well under God, to live a genuinely good life, and to live a genuinely righteous life. And foundational to this whole thing is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And so the starting point is the conviction that God exists. And our lives are best lived in submission to him. And so the book of Proverbs gives us practical ways to live out our faith in God in the circumstances and details of everyday life. A second nuance to keep in mind. The book of Proverbs is not just a haphazard collection of pithy sayings about random topics. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the beginning of knowledge is living in submission to the God who created the universe, the world, nature, the human being, relationships, work, marriage, family, our brain, our bodies, friendship, everything. So Proverbs is not just random sayings about random topics. Nor is it merely helpful advice so that we can construct a life that gives us an edge on the next person. God exists. He is the author of everything. He is the designer and the builder, if you prefer. He is the leading expert on the universe and on how it actually works. He is the leading expert on human beings and how they work. He is the leading expert on how life works and how marriage works and how family works and how relationships work. So there is order in this universe. There are blueprints. Wisdom marks the way God's universe and everything in it functions best the way it was intended to operate and to function. And this wisdom is found in Scripture, and this wisdom is found in the book of Proverbs. Willy Wonka knows the ins and outs of his chocolate factory. Steve Jobs intimately understood how his Apple computer was designed with human intuition in mind. Mark Zuckerberg gets Facebook, and God knows the universe, and God knows the world, and God knows human beings, and God knows marriage, and God knows family, and God knows relationships, and God knows work. So his guidance and his instructions are not just a random set of rules and laws and prohibitions and freedoms. His will, in other words, is not a restrictive leash that keeps us from the really good stuff of life we otherwise might have. The will of God is the way we were designed to live. And ultimately, it is the way we want to live. And when we are living in the stream of God's will, we are experiencing Authentic life to its fullest. And that's what Jesus said he came to bring in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Life now in all of its fullness. Authentically abundant life. So Proverbs offers all sorts of everyday life wisdom on a variety of topics like the relationship between people and God. Family. Lots of stuff on family. Husbands and wives children and parents, brothers and sisters, the interaction, the training that goes on in those settings. It offers all sorts of everyday life wisdom on our words and the power of our words, the impact they have on other people, 
the way they shape other people, the way they hurt other people, and the way they can heal other people has much to say about friendship and what friendship means and what friendship looks like. It has much to say about temptation and how temptation beckons us down destructive paths. This is a book of wisdom, not rules. It is a book of insight, not restriction. It points to a path, but it doesn't answer every question. Secondly, let's consider the fact that wisdom is discovered in the huddle. If you've been watching the weather out on the East Coast, you know about the snow. And all that snow falling, those blizzard conditions, got me thinking about the hours I spent as a kid with my friends playing tackle football in the snow. There's absolutely nothing better. Except the California winter is way better, but not for a kid. Imagine a group of kids out in an open field dressed in coats and hats and gloves and boots playing tackle football in a blizzard. And the image I want us to hold for a moment is the image of a huddle in that setting. See, it's hard to play football in deep snow. It's hard to play football in a blizzard. The ball is slippery. It's hard to run. It's hard to throw the ball with gloves on. If the snow is wet, then your clothes get wet. Makes it hard to move. Makes it hard to run. It's obviously cold. It's hard to play football in a blizzard. And when we would huddle after a play, the quarterback rarely just called the next play. Why? Because there was no play originally designed to be executed in a blizzard. No one thinks up a play and says, oh, this would be great when there's four inches of snow on the ground and six more falling. A blizzard was a different situation than any prefabricated football play was designed to address. So what the quarterback did in the huddle was ask a question. Everybody would gather up and the quarterback would say, what should we do? And the answer was up to the group in the huddle who had just run the previous play and who knew who was cold and wet and ready to quit on the other team. And that's where we would attack on the next play. What should we do was the conversation in the huddle. It's hard to live well in submission to God in today's world. If you'll permit me, it's kind of blizzard conditions out there. This is a different situation than any prefabricated set of religious rules was ever intended to handle. And I want to suggest wisdom is discovered in the huddle. When we gather up with a few other people who love God and want to follow him, and the question we consider is, what should we do? And together, we seek the wisdom of God in the Bible and the wisdom embedded in one another's hearts and experiences. In other words, we discover wisdom together. See, this wisdom quest is not a solo project where we read a book on our own or we memorize a verse on our own or we do our life on our own. Rather, we discover wisdom in the huddle with a few other people. The book of Proverbs begins in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, 
king of Israel. The idea of a proverb, as we all know, is kind of a sage pronouncement or observation. It's sort of the stuff you find in a fortune cookie, I guess. We probably get proverb in terms of that way of thinking of it. But the Hebrew word for proverb also suggests a way of teaching and a way of learning. A proverb then provokes further thought. It catalyzes a longer conversation. A good proverb pokes, it digs, it stirs. A good proverb sometimes agitates, sometimes it infuriates, oftentimes it raises questions requiring further explanation. And I believe the overall context of the Bible, who it was written to, and how it was used, and the example of the early church in the book of Acts, and the example of history and our own experience suggests that the best way to gain wisdom in a blizzard is to huddle with a few other people and pursue it together. Get together and ask the question, what should we do? How do we handle this? How have you experienced God in this Situation In your marriage, when you went through those difficulties, how did God show up and help? And we learn wisdom together. So third and last thing I want to say, and that is to talk for a minute about the hope of this series. The hope of this series is to inspire people to huddle up with a few others who want to live well under God and have meaningful and honest conversations about important topics, hopefully around a fire, and in the course of doing this, make some connections with each other and discover wisdom. That is the objective of this series. I have this vision in my mind of people from Oak Hills gathering all around town, Folsom, Orangeville, Fair Oaks, all over the place, in living rooms and in backyards, sitting around or near a fire, and if there is no fire, use a candle. And they're there, and they're relaxed, they're unhurried, they're present, they're taking time away from the oppressive and relentless grind of this life, and they're choosing to say being in that huddle is more important than giving in to the grind. So they're there, relaxed, unhurried, present. Their feet are up. They've got their favorite drink in their hand, and honest and real conversations are happening about meaningful topics that actually matter. And wisdom is being discovered to help us live well as followers of Jesus in this blizzard. And here's the thing. It will take some risk for some of you to actually do this. And we talked about risk last week. We talked about the fact if we keep playing it safe, keep doing what we're doing, keep the same old routine, keep doing the same things, we shouldn't be surprised by the same results. Getting into a fire pit conversation is going to take some risk. Because it takes risk to show up at a house with people you may not know and engage in an important conversation. So let me tell you how this is going to work and what we've done to try to make this happen. And the first thing I want to say out loud for everyone to hear is that this series happened quickly. I won't bore you with all that, but we're winging a lot of this. And we're just kind of trusting God that he'll show up somehow. But throughout the next five weeks or so, there will be different groups meeting in different places, talking about different subjects, facilitated by different 
facilitators, and these will be happening all week long, in the evening, some on the weekend, and these are one-night, stand-by-themselves gatherings. These are not five-week commitments or six-week commitments. This is not signing your life away. These are one-night, get-together for this discussion at this place and have a conversation. And each week, there will be a series of these being offered. Each group, and this is important, is limited to 10 people. So it stays a manageable conversation. You don't put 98 people around a fire. And here's the way it's going to go. Six sign-ups will occur. Six spots are available for the first service. Tends to be more crowded. Four for the second service. When the six in the first service are taken, then that's done. Unless you erase one of the names and put your own name. But don't do that. And then four people in the second. We hope we have more people interested in these fire pit conversations than we have groups available. So your irritation would be our joy. I'm sorry, but that's just kind of how we're thinking about it. Next week, start next Sunday when we come back together, there will be groups that uh, we will announce that aren't announced this week, meaning there will be new groups with new topics each week of the series. And we want these to be relaxed conversations in a relaxed setting where honest, raw, and real conversation happens. It's not a big teaching time. You're not showing up and going to listen to someone talk. This is not a Bible study. These are not top-down messages. We are huddling to ask the question, as followers of Jesus, what should we do with regard to subject fill-in-the-blank? We want the wisdom of Scripture to shape the conversation. We don't want the reciting of Scripture to end the conversation. So sign-ups are going to happen in a minute in the back of the room at the four tables that have the red tablecloth on them. Again, six spots available in the first service, four spots available in the second service. I think all the facilitators of upcoming groups will be back there in a moment, and my strong encouragement when we end is if you have even the remotest interest that you wander back there, go from table to table, and simply interact with the facilitator to find out more about what subject they're going to be leading. We actually think this series might get traction and might really be something we return to, so this may not be a one-and-done format, or this is going to be an epic flop. And you get a front row seat on it. So we'll have to see. It's important to hear this. The desire for connection and conversation and relationship is a legitimate reason to sign up for one of these. Even if the topic is only somewhat interesting. Another thing to remember. Answers are going to be rare in these gatherings. And they should not be expected. This is a process of discovery and the gradual pursuit of wisdom. Here's another important thing. Disagreement is a guarantee. Some of these topics, as you'll find out in a minute, are hot topics. Disagreement should be expected. It's guaranteed. And gentleness and grace and understanding are the wise way to respond to disagreement. 
So these huddles were designed in a simple way. They were put together in a simple way. Here's what we did. We contacted people we thought would be good at facilitating a conversation, and we asked them to identify a conversation they would like to facilitate around a fire with a few other people, and they gave us the subject. The meeting times and the places are all different. When you go back there, there's pieces of paper they will give you that will tell you, here's when we're meeting, here's where we're meeting, and then it's up to you just to get there. So let me rattle off the topics, then we'll wrap up, and you can fight each other for those six spots. So here are the subjects. One group is going to address this. What would Jesus look and act like in our modern world today? Another subject. What does following Christ look like in this politically, racially, economically divided world? That's a light one. That's kind (laughs) of simple. If that piques your curiosity, sign up for that. Here's a really good one. They're all really good. Here's another one. Retirement as a kingdom dweller. What does it look like? How do you enter into it? What does retirement even mean for someone who's living in God's kingdom? So if you're near retirement, in retirement, thinking about retirement, that may be one you want to go to. Here's another one. Work as a kingdom dweller. What does it mean to have a job, to work, to engage, to do it in a manner that reflects a sense of God's calling as a person in the kingdom of God? Here's another one. This one's simply titled Marriage. Talking about marriage, talking about that important relationship, honesty, rawness, realness, around the fire. Here's another one. Living with faith in uncertainty and doubt. Great subject in the times we live in. All Lots of things happening that create uncertainty, that create fear, perhaps even things going on that make us wonder, is there even a God? And if there is... What in the world is he doing? This is going to be a gathering around a fire to talk about that. And then the other one is money and kingdom life. Spending, budget, debt. Where does this all fit, this idea of money, in the life of a person seeking to live in the kingdom of God? That's what's back at the tables right now. As I mentioned, next week... There'll be a time in the, when I'm talking where I'll go over what's back there that week. So maybe this week nothing piques your curiosity or you don't have a chance. Some of these groups that I just mentioned are not necessarily meeting this week. They're off in the future. So my encouragement is wander back there, talk to the folks who are there, get more information, and let's see what happens around the fire. As you leave, may the grace and the peace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thanks for coming.